Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Hey there, Spooksters, and welcome back to part two. We ran a little long yesterday, so we're giving you a bonus episode today. So get ready, and we're going to get started. Yeah, enjoy, guys. I'm excited. I am talking about everyone's favorite. I wouldn't say favorite. I would say the most hated female murderer in a long time, Jodi Arias. I have been obsessed with her story since my friend Amalia told me about it and I watched it like it was like a few years ago when the Lifetime movie first came out. I was like watching it at my mm-hmm. desk at work because it's like such a fucked up story. So if you don't know who Jody Arias is, she is from Salinas, California, but then like spent a lot of her time up in Wairika, not to be mm-hmm. confused with Eureka. Mm-hmm. Different. Um, yeah, but very close. Yes. Not nice of them. <laughs> So she met Travis Victor Alexander. So they Mm -hmm. met in 2006 at a um, conference for prepaid legal where Travis was kind of like, uh, he did like conferences and he was a motivational speaker and he was getting people to join. And so she was a waitress and she was a independent photographer and she just didn't really know what she wanted to do. So Mm -hmm. she thought, Hey, she'd heard about this prepaid legal thing. And she's like, they're having a conference. It's in Vegas. I'm going to go. So every time they did a big conference on the Thursday before the conference, they did this big gala. Mm -hmm. And so he had been working with Jody in Palm Desert area and was like, hey, Travis, I know you're single. I know like most people bring their spouses. I know this pretty hot chick. Her name is Jody. She's well, she wasn't single. She had a boyfriend, but like she's not here with anyone. You have an extra ticket. Do you want to bring her as your date? So they got set up on a blind date. Now, Hmm. he lived in Mesa, Arizona. He owned his own house. He had a great car. He had like a Beamer. He was, you know, he was for almost a third, like at the time they met, he was like 29. For a 29 year old, he was kind of living the fucking high life. Like Mm -hmm. he had, he was the American dream. He also was a Mormon. Okay. All right. That's where I think their stories kind of like start. I'm like, okay, okay. So they met and they just said that it was like an instant attraction. If you watch the, and I'm just going to say right now, if you are adverse to talking about sex or talking about anything like that, you should probably click off now because her case is riddled with just yeah sexual content. So if you are under yep. the if you are underage, don't listen. Yep. You a child? Go. Go away. But we love <laughs> you. But go away. Yeah. <laughs> so. She decides that she wants to be this career, this saleswoman, and um, she meets Travis, and they just kind of, like, fall head over heels a little bit for one another. They just, like, instantly, in throughout their entire year-and-a-half relationship of knowing each other, they exchanged 82,000 text messages. Holy fuck. That's just, and then they sent thousands of emails to one another. So, 24-7, like, talking. Even when, like. Even later on when they break up and they're not like in good standings, they were constantly in communication with one another. So with Jody's case, you're going to feel two ways. You're either going to feel like this is a fucking psycho bitch. Someone needed to like <laughs> lock her up a while ago. 
Yeah. Or she's an abused, battered woman who just needed to get away from her person. And she wasn't able to cope any other way. I will tell what camp I'm in at the end of this. Okay. Because Travis is a Mormon, he expresses to her that they can't have a sexual relationship because it's against the Book of Mormon. And there's this thing Mm -hmm. called the Law of Chastity. And he has to stay pure for his future wife. Well, that, like, literally doesn't go anywhere. Like, it was something stupid. It was like, he just said it. And then within a week, they were having sex. (laughs) Right? Like, we have to not be... (laughs) We must remain chaste, but I'm going to fuck you a week later. So, they start this sexual relationship. But he keeps coming back to the fact that he's Mormon and that there's these rules. I think Jody was looking for something. It is said numerous times that she was looking for a purpose in life. And then he's talking about this, like Mormonism is this community and the young single life. Everyone was kind of like, there was a lot to do. There's a lot of activities around socialism, not socialism, socialization, not socialism, <laughs> not different. <laughs> That's a different thing. Everyone drink. <laughs> so, so they met September 2006. On November 26, 2006, she got baptized to join the Mormon church. Wow. So it's like two months after they've met. They're, she's right. like, yes, let me be part of this. So like I've said, she lives in Palm Desert and he lives in Mesa. And they just can't get enough of each other. On February 2nd, 2007, they begin to date. Okay. On the outside, they look like they're this perfect, cute little Mormon couple. Mm-hmm. Because this is MySpace days, guys. Right. Beginning of Facebook. So they, like, because she was a photographer, she took pictures of them all the time. And everything seemed super innocent and super, like, cute. On the outside, it looked great. Except for, you know, she was a very jealous person. It's been noted several times that, like, if a female would text Travis, she would get upset. She'd sent a couple, like weird response like she got his phone and sent a couple text messages to some friends Mm. that were texting and she's like what the fuck so Travis would get really upset with her and then she quotes the relationship ended because she just got tired of having to share his attention with other women and he Mm. says it's because she was a psycho crazy person so in June on June 29th of 2007 they broke up but they did the one thing you're not supposed to do when you break up they boned more Oh, my God, did they both more. (laughs) They they stayed friends with benefits for, like, a long time. And then he would start dating someone and she would get crazy jealous. Like, she slashed his tires. But they were, like, so crazy. So, like, in December of 2007, he actually started dating another person. And twice in December of 2007, she slashed his tires. And Oh, my God. And anytime his friends would tell him, like, you need to just, like, call the cops. You need to get her the fuck away from you. He'd be like, look, she just needs to get this out of her system. She's just upset. She's like, she likes me more than I like her. And she's just got to deal with this. Now, this is my PSA moment. Men, if you Mm -hmm. are listening to my voice, if you have a woman who is slashing your tires, stalking you, be a man and call the cops. Take it from Travis Alexander. Sometimes shit goes sideways and you need to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. So he hates her. He tells her to fuck off. She then writes this letter to Travis's girlfriend, essentially harassing her because she's Mormon. And she writes this letter like you're going to go to hell because you're, you know, (laughs) making out. And that's the thing. Like every other person who knows Travis thinks he's this like total G-rated good Mormon. Except for maybe like one or two of his close friends who know about Mm -hmm. the sexual relationship. 
between him and Jody. But then Jody is continuously texting him and she'll text him something like, obviously they're having some sort of conversation, but she texts him this on January 8th, 2008. Mm -hmm. She wrote and said, ah, I fell asleep. But to answer your question, yes, I want to grind you. I want to be loud. I want to give you a nice warm mouth hug too. Smiley face. (laughs) Mouth hug. Right. And so she writes stuff like that. Like, you know, my junk is wet. Stuff like that. Like where they're sexting constantly. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Then it's like, okay, the two of them are not together, but they can't be apart from one another because either the sex is too good or something along those lines happen. And um, they start traveling together and seeing the other parts of the United States. And so that happens in March. And then in April, she's supposed to like go in June with him to Cancun but they just have this big falling out and he basically writes how he wants to learn more and move on in April he writes he sends her a text message that says I'm at a nightclub right now and it helped me come to the conclusion that you were one of the prettiest girls on the planet okay so so a little stringing along there there's this thing where like I don't want to give Jody a hall pass here oh fuck no. no 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 like the when I talk about the actual murder, you're going to be like, oh, Jesus Christ. This mm-hmm. wasn't like, I don't think it was like a, okay, I'm telling you my camp. I don't think this was a like a instant moment of rage or self-defense no. because of just the literally the horrendousness of this crime. But yeah. I can totally see like, I mean, I've dated a guy in the past who they string you along. They tell you like, I love you. And then, no, I don't love you. But that's one of the things that everyone kept saying is that Travis never told her he loved her. Mm-hmm. But just basically was like, you're one of the most prettiest girls in the world. Like he'd ask for naughty pictures. So he would essentially encourage her to communicate with him. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as she would get jealous, because basically what he was doing is he was trying to have his cake and eat it too. Oh yeah. He was like having this dirty little secret life with Jody where they were having like all this kinky sex. And then he would go and try to be the perfect little Mormon boy. And, And I have nothing against Mormons. I grew up with Mormons and... Some of my really close friends in high school were Mormons. So I don't think there's anything wrong with them. But I think if you're putting on a face where you're like, I'm a perfectly innocent little boy, I have an issue with that. Just, you know, I just wanted to clarify that. So essentially, Jody is like, what do I do? Like, I'm in love with this dude. He hates me. She writes this like blog post where she's saying how much like she essentially can be taken that she is talking about her carnal nature like she wants Mm -hmm. to she's down to pound and Travis (laughs) is like Jesus Christ like people are gonna see this also he says really weird shit to her that come up later in the in the court case but Mm -hmm. so one of the last things that Travis writes on his blog is he writes about how he wants to marry a gold digger because he knows they'll just be with him for their money Hmm. and he goes this is something that i thought was interesting this is an expert excerpt of it drink Um, yeah i did a little soul searching and realized that i was lonely i realized it was time to adjust my priorities and date with marriage in mind this type of dating to me is like a very long job interview and can be exponentially more mentally taxing. Desperately trying to find out if my date has an axe murderer pinned up inside her. <laughs> so it's like if he's writing about Jody, you were correct there. Right? Oh, right. how fitting. So June 2008 begins and Travis to his friends accuses Jody of hacking his Facebook account. 
and essentially hmm. putting up not for Mormon. <laughs> Some not PC yeah. posts. Got yeah. you. So here's where shit gets a little crazy. On June 2nd of 2008, Jody, and this is what's fucking weird, is remember I worked in Reading in 2008? Uh-huh. On June 2nd, she picks up her car from the budget rental car in Redding, California. Too small of a world. Too right. Small. Like we're probably very close to one another. So what happens is on June 2nd, she picks up the car mm-hmm. and she essentially drives down to Salinas. And then on the 3rd, she sees her ex-boyfriend that she left for Travis. Here's the other thing. She was dating a guy that was like twice her age when she met Travis. Oh, okay. Right. And she left home when she was like 16 or 17 to live with a boyfriend. Her parents say that it was because they put too many rules on her, but they were like, we weren't actually that like constricting. We just, you know, asked her to do normal things and she got mad. Essentially, when she was, I think, 14, she got busted for growing marijuana. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's not a gateway crime, Jody. (laughs) (laughs) Right. She gets busted for marijuana and then her parents snoop through her whole room. So she takes it at this moment that her parents are always going to snoop through her shit, which, girl, they should have been snooping a lot harder. And when you left, they yeah. should have gone, gone and got your ass and drug you back home. Like, I'm sorry, like any parent who lets their kid leave at a young age, like 16 or 17, it's like, what are you thinking? Go and get them. Mm-hmm. You're an adult. They're still like you're in charge of them. You are letting that person live on. Sorry, this is my rant. I need to <laughs> rant it in. Sorry. I just, I have a really hard time when parents are like, they left home at 16. It's like, I thought you were the parent. Right. If I tried to leave home at 16, my parents would have taken my car. They would have made my life miserable until I just came home. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. So Jody drives from Reading to Salinas. And Salinas, she buys a gas can. Now, later in the court case, or later in her testimony, she says she returns the gas can. Did she say why? Or she, can they confirm that? So she said the reason she had the gas cans anyways, because she was she was driving to Pasadena to see her ex, who has the other, because she has three gas cans total. The other two come from him. So she says that she bought it, but then she said she went to Starbucks, got her drink, and then was like, oh, I don't really need three gas cans. I only need two. And she said the reason why she was getting the gas cans is because once she got to Utah, which is where her end game was, where she was going to Utah to visit, she was just going to gas up her car and then gas up the gas cans. That way she would have cheaper gas for the way home instead of having to pay California prices. Okay. Right. And then she said that she realized she wouldn't need three gas cans, that she'd only need two. Hmm. So then she says that she goes, returns it, gets cash back, and then goes and gets her nails done. And then she goes to Pasadena, sees her ex. Her ex then gives her the other two, and they're talking. And she seems a little upset. I think the way he put it is that she just didn't seem herself, but it wasn't, like, too Mm -hmm. off the path for her. Like, she just kind of was mopey. Right. So here is where the first hole in Jody's story gets poked. Okay. She says that she is driving from Pasadena to Salt Lake City. Okay. And when she was on her way to Salt Lake City, she got lost. She was on the 15 and she got off the 15 for a long time, drove like 300 miles in the wrong direction, and then had to go back. Mm. At which point she calls in this storyline 
she calls Travis's phone and says, oh my God, I got lost. It was like this trip we took, remember, except for you weren't here to like help me not get three digits in the wrong direction. (laughs) So... So she calls and leaves this message and then she shows up and this is Jody's story that she shows up in Utah to see Ryan Burns, who was this guy that she was kind of dating after Travis. He Mm -hmm. also worked for prepaid legal services. So she was making her way around the company, apparently. Apparently. She then leaves there on the 6th ish and returns the car to Reading on the 7th. Okay. Okay. That's her timeline. Essentially what happens is the real story is that after she leaves Pasadena, all of the gas cans are filled and Mm -hmm. she drives to Mesa, Arizona. Okay. She shows up to Travis's house really late at night, like early morning. Oh. And she says, you know, she knocks on the door, he lets her in, and then they just go in and go straight to bed. Okay. Like she says to sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. And then because they were up so late, they wake up in the later afternoon and then commence a day of, of sex. And right. th- so Travis had just gotten a new camera. So they start taking these explicit photos of one another mm-hmm. and they're very suggestive. In fact, there's this one lady who was talking about it. She's like, I haven't ever seen this type of X-rated photos before this come out of a murder case. Wow. She's like, these were like straight pornography photos. <laughs> Then what happens is Travis gets up and he goes to take a shower and Jody takes the camera into the bathroom and starts taking photos of him. So the last photo of Travis alive, mm-hmm. he's seated, which it makes sense because Jody weighed like 120 pounds. Right. She was five, six, 125 pounds. She's kind of petite. So then there's Travis who I don't think he was a big guy, but I think he was a lot bigger than her. Right. So what they think is that because he was seated, she had an advantage to get the first stab in. Mm -hmm. So on June 9th, 2008, five days after he's been killed, because he was killed around 5 p.m. on the 4th of June, Travis's friends became very concerned because he went radio silent. This isn't something he does. I mean, obviously, if he's exchanging 82,000 text messages in a year and a half between one person, he's communicating a lot with people. Right. He missed a very important business call. He's has been MIA from work. People are getting mm-hmm. really concerned. So one of his friends, I believe her name was Mimi. It's later in my notes. She goes over to the house and can't get in. So then she calls over a couple other friends and they still can't get into the house. So they call another person who has the code to the garage. They punch in the code. I believe it was 0187 they get out they get into the house Mm -hmm. and they say like the house smelled funny but three bachelors lived there Mm. it it, like (laughs) stunk more than it should but they were like "Eh, you know and they the the, one of the questions is like there was a body in your house for five days how did you not know and they're like dude Mm -hmm. we just thought it was dirty dishes that's some fucking rank ass dishes right and i'm like okay if my house smelled like that because of some dirty dishes i would do the fucking dishes right or throw them out like (laughs) seriously or i'd be like at least i mean i know we're women so whatever but it's like we'd at least be looking for the root of the smell (laughs) right we'd be like what is that fucking rank okay yes exactly So they didn't. One of the roommates was home. I think maybe both of them, but they get one roommate who has a key to Travis's room and the roommate opens the door and instantly is like, there's something fucking wrong in here. 
There's this dark puddle on the floor up ahead. They walk into the master bedroom and there's just this huge blood puddle, blood on the wall. They go into the master bathroom and there Travis is in the bottom of the shower. Oh, right. Kind of all like crumpled into the shower, just dead. So they call 911. They talk, you know, they say, hey, our friend, we hadn't heard from him. He's dead in his shower. And one of the first questions they ask the girl on the phone is, has anyone been threatening or harassing him? And she's like, yes, an ex-girlfriend. Her name is Jody. Mm-hmm. So from like the very get-go, Jody is known as this crazy person and is being like the finger is pointed at her. When they get in to see Travis, they find his body and everything like that. He had been stabbed 27 times. Holy shit. <laughs> his throat was cut from ear to ear. <gasps> so far back, they could see the spine. Oh, right. Fuck. Mm-hmm. And post-mortem, well, they found out later it was post-mortem above his right eyebrow. He had a, a like a 25 caliber in his head. So after she killed him, she shot him for good measure. Oh, most definitely. Holy fuck. Right. Everyone is like, that bitch did it. His family, his friends is like, you need to be looking at Jody Arias. And they all said the same thing. And it's not just like, no, they had issues. They would say she's obsessed with him. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. that she has more feelings than him. It's that she's obsessed. So on June 13th, she posts on MySpace a collage or a photo gallery of Travis and her titled In Loving Memory of Travis. On June 17th, Jody then travels to Mesa and voluntarily gives her fingerprints and her saliva for DNA testing. This bitch is crazy and also in denial she's going to get fucking caught. Right. (laughs) Right. And this is the same day that they're going through the house and they're looking at everything. The very first day they find a camera. They're like going through. So they find that camera in the washing machine. The washing machine had been run and it was just sitting there full of water. So it's like she half-assed tried to fuck up the camera. Right. So she successfully ruined the camera. Oh, okay. She did not successfully ruin is the SD card because SD cards are meant to, you know, they get a little fucked up. Mm -hmm. But if like you were to drop your camera in water, it's going to instantly get ruined. But your SD card will survive. Now, five days sitting in laundry detergent, which is, you know, it breaks shit down. But they found this on June 17th. This is where they get the card up and running and working. This is where they find the naked pictures of Travis in the shower. They find the pictures of Jody and Travis having sex. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the big smoking guns is they find a photo of a bleeding suspect lying on the floor. She took a picture of him after she did her handiwork. No. No? She put, the camera is now put on the floor. Possibly it went off? Mm-hmm. The camera gotcha. was malfunctioning. It took three separate photos after uh-huh. this incident happened. And this okay. is one of them. And for a long time, they couldn't tell what it was. They could make out the body bleeding, but that mm-hmm. was it. But ultimately, when they got it rendered, it's a foot and a pant leg. Okay. Standing in front of Travis's body, mm-hmm. which they later are saying is Jody. Right. So June 19th, she's questioned by the police over the phone about when the last time she saw Travis. And she maintained up for a while that the last time she saw him was April 28th. So a couple of months she hadn't seen them. She admits mm-hmm. to their relationship. Um, mm-hmm. She says that they broke up 
because she was tired of sharing Travis, but that they did continue to have sex. And the police asked her when the last time she spoke with him, and it was the day before the murder, she said that he was upset with her because she was choosing to go to Utah to see Ryan versus come to Arizona to see him. Hmm. And she states that they had spoken on the phone for about 45 minutes on the 3rd. The 19th is also when she posts on Facebook that she misses Travis. She writes, miss you, Travis. See you soon, but not soon enough. The 21st of June is when he's laid to rest. On the 26th, they identify that the hair that they find at the scene and the bloody handprint matches Jody's. Of course. Because it's not just like a partial. It's a fucking full left hand palm print on that fucking wall in blood. And when she's when they tell her about this in her interrogation, she's like, well, couldn't my handprint have just already been there and then someone get blood on it? What? Right. A lot of things she says doesn't make any sense. But I think she's I think this bitch is smart and she just Mm -hmm. underestimated how smart cops are. (laughs) Right. But inside the bloody paw print or paw print, palm print. She's not a dog. is a mixture of her DNA and Travis's DNA. Gotcha. So, and so this is the day they find that us out. This is also the day that they're having a memorial service for Travis and the bitch shows up. Jesus Christ. So like everyone is like, she did it, but she shows up to his memorial service, which would kind of make you look more guilty if you didn't come. True. It's like when OJ went to her funeral. So. Yeah. June 9th is Jody's 29th birthday, but also significantly the day she's indicted by a grand jury for first degree murder. <laughs> that was um, July 9th. Ju- July 15th is when the Mesa police go to, what is it, Siskiyou County. Mm-hmm. And t- she's arrested at her home. She's taken in and eventually she's booked on first degree murder. Now, this is where you start seeing that Jody Arias is either like a crafty bitch or just out of her mind because they're telling her all this stuff. They're showing her all this stuff. Like they ask her if she wants to see the crime scene photos and her response is, I kind of do. And I kind of don't. Oh, geez. And I'm going to be honest. Like if someone that I loved the way she says had died, I wouldn't want to see those photos. No, absolutely not. They're basically like, why do you want to see them? And she's like, well, morbid curiosity. Jesus Christ. Of course she did. And you know that the detective Esteban Flores is probably just sitting there going, you fucking already know what it looks like. You did it. Right? Exactly. (laughs) You just want to see it decomposed. Now, I'm going to say right now, if you are squeamish, do not, do not under any circumstances, Google Travis Alexander crime scene photos because they will Mm -hmm. literally show you, like I made the mistake and it popped up on Google images, the whole thing. And they will literally show you like the gap in his neck. Oh, it's on the internet. And for me, that's so sad because like anyone could show that to his family and they don't need to see that. No, absolutely not. Jesus. Some things should be kept private. (laughs) Yes, I agree. So essentially they go round and round and they basically, they're not getting anywhere with her. She's maintaining that she wasn't even in Mesa. I wasn't even there. So they tell her, you know what, Jody? we know it's you. He reads her her rights Mm -hmm. and her first response, she's crying, right? Of course. Her first response is, I know this is going to make me seem really shallow and everything, but do I have time to like clean up? And she points to her face before my mugshot, like before you take me. And they're like, he's like, no, (laughs) we're going to take you as you are. 
Jesus fuck. And then I'm assuming this is that one because I was looking at the handprint photo. Her mugshot popped up and she's like grinning. So that's actually good because the guy that did her intake from Siskiyou County Sheriff's Department, mm-hmm. he like goes to take her and he, she's like, tell me when you're ready. And then he's like, okay, which most people getting their mugshot done, they're not like worried about like no, what they look like. Right. Like most people are crying. Most people are really upset. You know, they want to look like God, this don't fucking bother me. That kind of shit. No, she literally cocks her head and grins at mm-hmm. it. She's smiling. And he said it was the creepiest experience in the world because he's sitting here going, she's just been accused of first degree murder. He's like, I could understand like maybe if she'd been like shoplifting and got right. caught. And she's like, I don't care because I'm going to be out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But like, this is the end of her free life. And she grins in it. Like I'm taking a MySpace picture. Click. Essentially. Yeah. And then she asks, like, will people be able to see this? So before she's taken in, she's left in the room for a little bit longer. And she gets really bored. So she starts doing some yoga stretching. Of course she fucking does. She does a 30-second handstand against the wall. (laughs) Like, she fucking bends over and, like, flips up onto the wall and just stands there for 30 seconds. This is, like, the most bizarre thing that any investigator has ever fucking seen in their life. They're like, what is this? She sang two separate songs. She sang, I don't remember what it was from. It was from a show or something. And then she sang Oh Holy Night. All right. Right. So she's like, okay, like, cool. So then she's there for a couple months and then she's extradited to Arizona. She's given a public defender and his name is Kirk Nerman. Nerman. I'm going to just drink. It's drinking. And then on September 11th, she gives a not guilty plea. On September fucking 12th, she's just been indicted. She's just been accused. It's been less than three months. What would you think a normal person would do in this case? Everything she doesn't fucking do, because I Googled to try to see what song it was. And apparently there was at some point she was in a singing competition in the prison. Coming up. That's my next point. September of 2012. On September 12, 2008, not September 2012. She gives an interview. She literally gets her her person assigned to her three days before. Then she gives an interview where she says, She's like, I'm innocent. I didn't kill Travis. Mind you, when she's being arrested up in Wairika, she finally tells the next day the story of what happened. And what Mm -hmm. quote unquote happened is her and Travis, like she's taking the pictures of Travis and she hears this loud sound and she turns around and these two people and the way she describes it is these two people. And I don't know what you call it. It's like the beanie that covers the face and has the eyes and the mouth. And the guy's like a ski mask. Like (laughs) that's what you don't know. She's like, the guy's wearing a ski mask. Um, They come in. She's like, I chicken shit it out and just ran. So she like says she runs to the closet and hides in his closet. And then this girl comes in and holds a gun to her head and is like arguing with her. And Jody's trying to like struggle. And that's where she hurts her finger because her finger gets fucked up and it can't ever lay flat again. Like, oh, wow. Permanently bent. Like these people attack her and apparently they've killed Travis already. Right. And they just like leave her. She's not who we're here for. We're here for him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then she, Jody just, decides to run away at this point and never look oh i take one other thing they take her wallet and they look and they see that she has her 
car registration and they hmm. say like is this your car registration and she says yes and he's like okay if you tell anyone this just happened I will do to you and your family what I just did to him and then lets her go so now she's told this story she's told this story on national news right not national it's Arizona but it got picked up nationally right yeah, yeah yeah um and it's like this doesn't make any sense like your bitch at least was like stayed out of the media like Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, like, I'm just gonna no Jody is out there anyone who will give her attention she's like oh yeah I'll sit in town and talk to you yeah so this is her second story the first story is I didn't go anywhere near Mesa the second <laughs> story is because now she has evidence in front of her saying you were fucking there it's date stamp photos of you yeah now she's come up with this crazy story where these ninjas came like everyone Nancy Grace kept calling them ninjas it was great ninjas <laughs> it was great and so they're like okay 12 days later after that interview, she gives another interview where she publicly says, again, that there's these two intruders came in. Mm -hmm. So essentially, the prosecutor on the case, his name is Juan Martinez. Now, he is like, I texted you when I was watching this. He's a fucking little pit bull, that dude. Like, he Mm -hmm. like, I text Tara. I was like, if I'm ever murdered, get him to be my prosecutor because damn, he will get me justice. Yes. Like. He essentially, when he got put on the case, he was like, I am going for the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So they put that on the table that she's going to get the death penalty. She does a couple more interviews. She does the interview with 48 hours. Mm-hmm. The second interview she gave was with Inside Edition. And this is where Na- Nancy Grace loves to pick on this bitch because she's <laughs> so vain. Like in the middle of her, um, right before her interview with Inside Edition, she mm-hmm. starts powdering her nose. Jesus. Like putting more makeup on and Nancy Grace, if I was convict being convicted of murder, I'd have more things to worry about than my shiny nose. Right? Let's huddle down with my legal team. So that was in 2009. She gives the interview with 48 hours, and then that's when she tells the story about the two people again, the two people intruding. Now, your little fun fact about Jody. Mm-hmm. In December of 2010, Jody beat up 50 other inmates in an American Idol style caroling contest for inmates that was judged <laughs> by what was it? It's judged by the toughest sheriff in America. What is his name? It's <laughs> right here on my screen. Anyway, essentially, this guy was like the toughest sheriff in America and judged her and she won and she won a stocking full of goodies and a turkey dinner for herself and her cellmates. Oh, goody. Right. <laughs> You know how they say, like, a person who represents themselves has a fool for a client? Mm-hmm. So Jody tells the judge in 2011, I want to represent myself. Uh, okay. But I'm also going to keep my defense team on because I feel like I should have backup. Judge <laughs> grants it. Judge is like, fine, I don't fucking care. Right? You're a dumbass bitch. Go for right? it. This will just make this go faster. So then on August 16th, letters are submitted that are pointing fingers at Travis being a pedophile. Uh-oh. Right. Mm-hmm. But the letters were not, they could not be authenticated and they were mm-hmm. proven to be false. Okay. And this is also the first time she admits to killing him. Wow. Okay. And she says, look, I know I've lied, but this is what happened. I killed him out of self-defense because I dropped his camera and he attacked me. All right. Interesting. Yes. So then essentially what happens is 
So you start building the case. Jody's little sister goes on and does her own 48 hour interview talking about the lie mm. saying, look, yes, she lied, but giving an interview on national television, you're not under oath. She just lied like normal. She didn't lie like in court. She was just scared. She did this because she didn't want people to know Travis was a bad guy and that she was acting out of self-defense. I'm guessing she thought that'd make her get off easier, I guess, because if it was self-defense. But a couple of big things happened in 2012 for her. Um, Mm -hmm. The judge denied that she could the death penalty to be removed. So Mm -hmm. going in, she knew that that was a possibility. And Jody made a statement very early on in her interviews that no jury would ever convict her. Which later she says the reason she said that is she had planned to kill herself so that they couldn't convict her because she was dead. What the fuck? (laughs) She's fucking crazy. So then, and the other thing that begins happening in December 2012 is out of 375 potential jurors, they begin selecting and Mm -hmm. they basically get 12 jurors and six alternates. It's made up of Mm -hmm. seven women and 11 men which is probably where she went wrong, and were sworn in for the Jody Arias trial. So 2013 is when this really begins. January 2nd, the opening remarks. I mean, this Juan Martinez fucker, he like, he was out for blood. He basically came out opening statements. She's a liar. Her motivation was jealous. This is so premeditated. Let me tell you why. Yes. So, okay. Throughout this whole trial, Jody's story is this. She's in the bathroom taking pictures of Travis. She's mm-hmm. snapping away, right? Mm-hmm. She drops the camera. Travis gets pissed and then lunges at her like a linebacker and picks her up and knocks her, to, slams her on the ground and basically tells her like, a fucking five-year-old can hold a camera better than you. And she gets scared because he apparently has had a pattern of this abuse that she hasn't told anyone about, nor has ever written about in her very detailed diary, has never mentioned it to anyone. <laughs> Never once does she go, Travis hit me. But mm-hmm. according to her, in January of earlier that year, the reason her finger is crooked is because Travis broke it in another altercation. And at some other point in their relationship, he got mad at her and choked her and she passed out. <laughs> so she's thinking in this moment, like this is her narrative, is that in this moment, I'm fearing for my life. I have to get away from him. I get away and I run to the closet and I see the gun box. I get the gun. And mind you, no one has ever mentioned in Travis's history that he ever owned a gun. Right. There's no record of him purchasing a gun. And he's a goody two shoes, except for the whole creepy sex thing. But um, (laughs) right. So there's no record. So she gets this gun out of his closet Mm -hmm. and she says she runs into the hallway and she's pointing the gun at him. Her thought is this. If she was running at someone and they had a gun pointed at her, she would stop. Mm hmm. So she thinks if I point this gun at him and she's like, if I do it both hands, she kept saying both hands and I didn't understand why to hold it. Right. But I mean, like, I don't understand her significance of well, like more secure than just be like, you know, messing around, holding it kind of thing. Like I'm braced to shoot you. Oh, that makes. okay. I get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she says that she's holding it with two hands, thinking he's going to stop, and she doesn't, or he doesn't. And at some point, they're in an altercation. The gun goes off, and he gets hit. And he yells, I'm going to fucking kill you. And she gets away from him, and that's the last thing she remembers. Of course. 
So, according to the official autopsy, mm-hmm. he was stabbed 27 times, his throat was then slit, mm. and then he was shot. Right. The one time. The one time. Mm-hmm. Above the right eyebrow. Mm-hmm. And the ME, the medical examiner, Dr. Kevin Horn, he laid it out. Like, this was very vicious. Like, most people who attack in self-defense don't continue this process. No. Like, it would make sense, like, if she stabbed him 27 times and then he was dead and then she right. realized what happened, that's kind of, like, heat of the moment passion. Like, oh, my God. But slitting of the throat. And shooting him. And they're not even sure if, like, she's, like, slit his throat and then kept stabbing him or what happened. Right. But he was, at that point, he was in the bedroom hallway mm-hmm. when she slit his throat because that's where a lot of the blood was. Uh-huh. And then she drug him back into the shower, which is where the photo captured her. Right. And she says that she drug him and put him in the shower. She rinsed him off. Oh, okay. Right. So she like rinsed him off. She cleaned him. I think she probably cleaned up herself a little bit. Right. That's what I was going to say. Like thought it'd get any evidence of her doing it off of him maybe. Right. And cleaning herself up to leave. Yeah, Definitely. So I think what ends up happening is that like she then just leaves and goes and she throws the gun somewhere in the desert between Arizona and Utah and it's not seen again. She can't remember where she did it. But the defense is that she's doing this because it is self-defense. He was emotionally and physically and mentally abusive to her. Obviously, the prosecution starts and wow, do they go in And they bring in, like, ex-girlfriends. They bring Mm -hmm. in expert witnesses. And they all talk about, like, one, every person who knew Travis says, like, hey, he's a great guy. And when the defense comes up, they are literally attacking Travis. That's who they're Mm -hmm. trying to put on trial is Travis. When Jody gets on the stand, which she does, and she's there for quite some time. I want to say, like, nine days or something like that. It was a really long time. Wow. Yeah. Or something like that. It was a really long time. She testifies that Travis, she came into the room once and Travis was sitting on the bed masturbating. And she's like, oh, I got really, it got really awkward because I was like, oh God, he's masturbating. And I just caught him. She's like, I kept trying to think like, how can I make this not awkward? And I was just about to say something like, do you want me to help you finish off or something like that? And he's reaching for these papers and one flies up and she even says it like you know how paper falls in that like pattern and she does like the mm-hmm. lock thing with the hands thing mm-hmm. and it lands at my feet and it's a picture of a little boy oh my god now there's that that's just fucking hearsay yeah. there's no proof to that that the only thing that kind of corroborates that story she recorded their phone sex because she fucking psycho right so she records this phone sex, which was so degrading. Like, it talks about, like, him tying her to a tree and, like, anal sex and all this, like, horrific stuff. Yeah. And when they climax, he makes a comment afterwards how her climaxing sounded like a 12-year-old girl having her first orgasm. What the fuck? Which is a very weird sentence or statement to say out loud. Yeah. For me, that was like a step back. Maybe he did have some interest in children, mm-hmm. especially since like the pictures of her that day. She's got pigtails like she's got braids. Okay. Uh, I don't think she killed him because he was a pedophile. But then one of the things that also like 
Juan Martinez was like, did you tell anyone? No. Did you write it in your diary? Did you, other than this one recording? And I mean, the fucked up thing is Travis is like, it's his voice and his family is sitting right there. Oh no. So they're hearing him say these like truly debasing things to this woman. And they're having to listen to that. Right. And listen to the fact that their brother is being accused of being a pedophile and all this stuff. And there's, Mm -hmm. there's so much that happens in the court, you know, her story like doesn't make any sense. But when the prosecutor is like questioning her, like, so when she's being questioned by the defense, she's very meek, she's very mm-hmm. quiet. She of course. She, yeah. But when that fucking prosecutor comes for her, oh my God, does she turn around and like, he was asking her about, cause she said she had memory issues with the whole mm-hmm. murder thing. She's mm-hmm. not denying that she killed him, mind you. <laughs> she's just, so she deni- can't remember. Right. Oh my God. They had an expert come in and say like, no, she's, she has essentially because of this PTSD experience, she has like amnesia and the prosecutor gets up and he's like, Oh, is this just cause you have feelings for Jody? Like <laughs> he crosses the line so many fucking times. Like, I think I was Damn. texting you, like he was asking her questions and like just picks up the picture of Travis's slit mm-hmm. throat and throws it on the overhead projector. And his sister is sitting there and she has to run out. Yeah. Because, and it's like, it wasn't even a question. And then like the defense, like, I think if she'd had really good defense attorneys, she probably would have gotten like second degree or manslaughter because Mm -hmm. just the way this prosecutor was like completely unprofessional. uh, It was crazy. So basically at the close of this, this whole thing, they keep going with the fact that Travis abused her. And like one of the big stories that she shared is the night that she was baptized, they go back to like his house or her house. Oh, it was her house. And they're making out and he leans her over the bed and just begins to have anal sex with her. Just the same night that she's given her life over to this religion, he confuses her. So Mm -hmm. this is where people go, is she really like a slain, not a slain, she really kill him because she was mentally and physically and sexually abused by this man. Mm-hmm. And like a like mas- sadomasochistic relationship that she didn't fully understand, or mm-hmm. is she just fucking psycho? Right. After the trial, the jury goes and does the deliberation, and they come back. She gets first degree murder. Right. Then they go back. Oh, but before that, here's a really fun tidbit. And if you're from Arizona, you already know this, but this doesn't happen in other states. In Arizona, the jury gets to ask questions. Okay, so, I didn't know right. that. So they get to ask questions. They got to ask Jody questions. They got to ask other witness questions. And like they would ask something like, what is your definition of a skank? Because like that came up because (laughs) he did call her fucking horrible names in the text messages. Like he'd call her skank. He refers to her as the three hole wonder. So like these really like horrible things he says about her. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is said in like that like dirty talk way. Like you're a little skank. You're my Mm -hmm. whore. You, mm-hmm. you want to exist to please me, that kind of shit. Right. So then, so they got to ask, and I was thinking, like, I'd ask her, like, why would you keep going back? I get that you love him, but, like, if he would physically harm you, like, you lived in Wairika, like, you had to right. travel hundreds of miles. Most women who are really battered, they live in the house. Mm-hmm. She was states away. Right. Like, she, she'd gotten away. Like, why? That's what ups. Yep. So essentially they do that. They come back with a first degree murder. Then they go out for sentencing and the jury unfortunately is a hung jury on the sentencing. Mm -hmm. It was eight for death, four for life. 
And so that means there's a mistrial. Mm. So they have to do that all over again. Jesus. Right? Ultimately, the thing is, is that people in the community around there really supported Travis. And Mm. they had, like, the justice for Travis. There were hundreds of people at the courthouse the day that she was given the sentence of first-degree murder and that she was guilty. Mm. And people were excited for that. Yeah. So after she's been found guilty and before her sentencing, she goes on the air like minutes after it. Not let's go talk to my lawyer. Let's not go see how I feel. She goes and does an interview where she basically says, I just want to die. I want death. (laughs) So, right. So then she goes to her sentencing hearing and she begs for her life. Like, it's not fair to my parents. I've already caused them all this pain. This would cause them more pain. Don't do it for me. Do it for them. And then she holds up this shirt It's a white t-shirt and it has the word survivor in purple. Go fuck yourself. Jesus Christ. Right. So she's like, and I'm starting a nonprofit that, you know, if you buy this shirt, it goes to nonprofit to help with like domestic abuse. This is the wrong time to start your campaign. (laughs) Yeah. You should have started that campaign months ago and gotten a lot of people on your side. No, you wait until like, you're being sentenced. And then that's when the hung jury happens. Then they have to go to court again. And so she's ultimately given life in prison, but they're trying to appeal it. But the death penalty is still not off the table. There's current stuff going on, isn't there? Or recently? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So in January of this year, they put an appeal. And from what I could find on the internet, it hasn't gone to trial yet. I've been looking to try to find if there's a decision in that case. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find it. So Spooksters, if you find it, send it to me. Yeah, post it for us because I want to know too. Yeah. I mean, this whole case is, there's so much more. Like mm-hmm. I recommend watching on Hulu. There's like the uh, American Crime. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely go look at that. There's so much shit out there. It's so much. T- right. And it, if you just go on YouTube, you can watch, like you can basically watch the whole trial on YouTube. Mm-hmm. so yeah fun she, fun right she crazy and I'm totally camp like she's a psycho and then while I was like looking up the pictures and stuff there's a recent interview with her ex cellmate who says she's a sociopath 100% I haven't watched it yet but yeah oh yeah so. I haven't watched that either it I know that like they say like she she's very manipulative I think there was some sort of incident with her roommate her ex roommate or something. I haven't looked into that. I wanted to stay true to her crazy self. But yeah, in the trial, someone diagnosed her with multiple personality, which then they had another expert come in and who was actually like an expert expert in the field, say like the expert that the prosecution got actually doesn't have the qualifications to read into that. But I do. And I don't think she is. I think she's a sociopath for fucking sure. Mm hmm. When they gave her like her verdict and she just like gasped like she was shocked. <laughs> like, I think that was the first time she really realized that she couldn't lie or flirt her way out of something crazy. Well, that's all we have for you this week. I know this has been a, a little bit of a long one, but it's because we had two great cases. Mm-hmm. As always, make sure you check out our stuff and um, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Yes, I waved. <laughs> <laughs>